What's up, everyone? Welcome to Benchtown TV. My name is Jim, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler, and we are back with our coverage of the latest installment of the True Detective series, True Detective Night Country. Today, we are covering episode three, titled Part Three. But first, a little Benchtown TV housekeeping. If you're listening from our True Detective feed and are not familiar with our other podcast coverage, then we just want to remind you that we cover so many different shows and would love to have you as a listener for those as well. We recently covered Jujutsu Kaisen, A Murder at the End of the World, and Reacher Season 2. And besides True Detective Night Country, we're currently covering Percy Jackson and the Olympians and Masters of the Air. So what I'm trying to say, like I always do, is that we cover a lot of TV and we want you all to come for the ride. All you have to do is search Bingetown TV on any of your favorite podcast apps or check us out at BingetownTV.com. All right, Tyler, we're here, part three. What did you think of the episode? Hey, Jim. Hey, everyone. Great to be here. And it's also nice to have uh, some Sunday night appointment viewing, right? It's funny because with six episodes, I think that you get so hyped up before every episode that it's almost a letdown if it's not like some explosive, crazy shit happening at every point in turn. And this episode did provide us even more background where we kind of thought from our pod last week that, uh, hey, it looks like they've got all the backstory, you know, kind of cleaned out and we can just start rolling. They said, hey, hey well, not I got quite, some more buddy. for you. Yeah. Not quite, buddy. But what I will say is, A, they end that episode with a crazy couple of scenes. Mm-hmm, and B, mm-hmm. just going back and doing like some quick searches through the episode. I think the episodes like this are the ones that really pay dividends to pay attention to by the finale of True Detective. Um, because the information in the in this episode was plentiful, but it also seemed like a lot of really important shit was getting thrown at us kind of offhand. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm excited to pot about it because yeah, I think for anybody that just finished the app, you're probably like, you got chills on your spine from the last scene. And then you're like, Oh man, did I really find out? I thought I was going to like see more stuff, but yeah, I feel like we're in a really good spot right now. And, uh, I love the horror aspect that Issa Lopez obviously is bringing to the table with her directorial background that's kind of uh, making this season somehow creepier than I expected it to be, which has been pretty good. What did you think, Jim? Yeah, I agree. I think you said it perfectly when it comes to six episodes, episode three, halfway through the season. Maybe you want bang, 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 climax already, this and that, but... It makes sense that we're still getting more information. People need to realize that episode three, there's still a lot to go. We have had a lot to talk about, and it's only been half. We have a full half to go of this TV show. So at first watch, I was like, oh, yes, we're getting a lot of information. I thought we were going to get a lot more banger stuff, like the stuff that happened at the end, a lot more throughout the episode. But in hindsight, this episode is most likely going to be one of the most important episodes of the season. We get a lot of answers. There's things that we've talked about in the first two episodes that are getting answered close. There's some close answers that we'll talk about where we're pretty much there. There's some stuff that was really good for the background, obviously. We thought we had a lot of background, but we're getting more and more, which that's always a plus. And we're going to play the game, man. We're going to play this supernatural versus supernatural versus spiritual versus mental health. 
situation. It's very, we got to talk about. It's very confusing. It's, you know, it's up for interpretation. There's a lot of shit we have to talk about. So what do you want to talk about first? How do you want to get this party yeah, well, started? Let's, let's, uh, let's stay true to the past few episodes agenda, which is quickly explain what happened in the episode and then go every which way. All over no, the freaking place. In no logical order. Yeah. But just to recap. So we end last episode knowing that Clark from Salal Station is still alive and was not one mm-hmm. of the corpse sickles, along with Anders Lund, who was running Salal Station, was alive and is in the hospital. So we flash forward to this episode. We get a nice couple montages and back and forth to see Danver and Navarra's working relationship uh, mm-hmm. in full force. Mm-hmm. We see the strategic Hank Pryor leading the manhunt for Clark. And then we get a little bit more backstory into the Annie K mystery, along with a new suspect, a new person to add to the suspect list, all culminating with Annie K's phone being cracked. Zombie corpse Zombie. And some screams in an ice cavern that are going to stick with me until the next episode. There's so, a lot of good stuff that's going to stick with me, horror-wise, creepy-wise. This is a good yeah, episode for yeah, that kind of stuff. Let's get into it. You were talking about the spiritual aspects. So let's start there. Mm-hmm, we got, mm-hmm. as the viewer, more unreliable narration, primarily through the eyes of Navarro's character, who we know mm-hmm. is, of the two detectives, the more spiritually tuned in. Um, yes. I'm going to put it in these buckets. The orange. So we're going to have to talk through these quickly. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to belabor each one, but the orange, mm-hmm. Danvers son, mm-hmm. and the zombie corpse sickle. <laughs> Creepy corpse of those, of those three, where do you want to start? Let's just do it in order. The orange is actually a quicker one. Right. So the orange is dropped by, you know, one of the hillbillies, quote unquote, um, that is going and joining the search brigade. And it's used by Navarro to throw it into the darkness where it's thrown right back at her. So mm-hmm. catch with the darkness. I I saw online some people being like, how come she didn't question that? She didn't go further. Where to me, it's more about, it's more symbolizing maybe her own experiences and having a little bit of a catch with the darkness and maybe not wanting to see what threw you the the orange. What were your thoughts on that? Because I have a feeling even from the scenes in the next episode, it looks like the orange is going to be going to be with us for a little bit, kind of kicking back at us when the darkness is around. What did you think about that? Yeah, it was very interesting when it comes to the orange and being kicked back because there's a conversation between Navarro and Danvers in the car where Navarro's kind of alluding to something that Danvers isn't down with. You know, she's saying there's no magic chumpa wumpa or whatever the heck she says, but she also says no <laughs> ET. Is, is a chumpa wumpa a mix between? So I take it's Oompa the chupacabra, <laughs> the chupacabra mixed with Willy Wonka singing yeah. the tub thumping album. <laughs> by, <laughs> I get by chumpa wumpa. 
for those of you. So Yeah, Issa Lopez did actually acknowledge this because people were saying, what the hell was that? And she said that it was an ad lib by did Jody she Foster. Mention, did she mention Chumbawamba in that? She did not mention Damn Chumbawamba. It. I mean, I'm going to have to tweet <laughs> at her from the Benchtown account and see if they were listening to that after. Yeah, she said yeah. it was a hilarious moment on set and it was an ad lib. Maybe an actual screw up when she was supposed to say what she was supposed to actually say. Chupacabra or something? Yeah. Yeah, well, look... I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say when Silence of the Lambs was being made, that there was a lot of Chumbawamba playing in the background. <laughs> so I think Chumbawamba has more to do with it than Willy Wonka. But that's a question for for the back end. Are you asking the right questions? So <laughs> probably not. <laughs> if it's me, I mean, we have established that we cannot trust what's happening in the real world versus the mind of Navarro's character, right? And I think it's symbolism for almost dealing with the spiritual, you know, the darkness, the spiritual forces. I don't take it as literally. I take it as like her walking out into the tundra, into that nothingness. She's going towards in the right direction, but it's almost like, do you want to go into that direction right now? Are you ready for the darkness that exists out there? And I can see that being used as symbolism moving forward. Um, again, just kind of trying to rip a scene from the next episode that's a snapshot. But, you know, if she's going somewhere and she sees an orange roll over to her, that could be symbolism for her of, like, you're going into, like, some bad shit, some unknown you're about right to. Now. now let me ask you the question. Does that mean you're saying that you don't think the orange coming back was real? Yeah, I mean, look, that means that I don't think she threw it in reality. I think she threw right. it in her mind and it kicked back to her. But again... That's where, at this point, and just what I know about this this show typically, I'm going to take that spiritual stuff as the symbolism that Navarro mm-hmm. is seeing and also the plot device that helps this be six instead of eight episodes, right? Because, yeah. again, not to keep comparing it back to one, but there's obviously meant to be that comparison. You could have done some very similar shit with what Russ is saying to the two detectives, but because he's able to verbalize those thoughts through that you know storytelling exercise it made it so they didn't have to have like the actual symbolism of this of the stuff that Russ thinks so mm-hmm. i just think that that's a directorial choice that i think makes it very interesting to watch quite honestly and probably goes more hand in hand with the second one of her being in the ice seeing what looks like a kid running from mm-hmm. her falling smacking her head and then it looked like she was back wherever. I don't know if they actually said explicitly where she saw the uh, gross the half of the face. woman's face. <laughs> yeah. but, but it looked like she was back there with uh, Danvers' son saying to her, tell my mommy, tell my mommy some something. Listen, she's all about like listening to the spirit world. What do you think he had to say? What does he have to tell his mommy? Well, the question I want to ask you first is maybe I saw this wrong. Maybe I was watching it wrong, but I took it like it was like a desert version of where they were when she goes back to find her sister, like that piece of the boat that was. Uh, in. Yeah, you might be. You might be right. Maybe I maybe I missed that. Um, um, I would have to do another rewatch just to verify, but it just seemed like it was the I guess it's the remains of the boat. That when she goes to see her sister, that's where her sister's waiting, and that's a spot that she knew to go to. It seemed uh, like it was the uh, same spot, just the, a desert, like a dried yeah, up, yeah. you know, I, I, life I, sucked out of it version I, of it. I probably missed that then, because that would explain. I mean, I almost took it like that 
that's not the first time that she had gone to that shipwreck thing. So right. I didn't know that she needed to see that. And I, I think the sand was just drawing me back to her, right. no, her, that makes war, sense. her mm-hmm. war thoughts. But yeah, you're probably right there. I mean, look, it would just be conjecture and guessing as to the significance of her seeing uh, Danvers' son. But now she's getting told something by the son. And mm-hmm. she also saw in episode one the polar bear with the eye gone, which is the yes. the teddy. So I guess the right question to be asking is, how do you think Danvers is going to take it when she tells him that she's seen her son? Yeah, I really want to know time-wise, timeline-wise, when they broke up. We don't have that answer yet, right? We know that there was the Wheeler case. We know now which was very good information, and it was a great way to tell the story, how it's showing us the flashback while she's lying to Pete. But obviously, I'm going to guess that they were a team, and they were together, and they were close when the crash happens, when the son dies, right? So obviously, like you said, here's the question. (laughs) How's Danvers going to react? If Navarro goes to Danvers, someone who says, I don't want no... E.T. magic bullshit, and she says, your son came to me and said, I need to talk to you about something. She's going to say, all right, bro, you need to freaking relax here, and it's going to be a blow-up. You know Danvers, she's not happy about, you know, she's not happy about anything half the time. She's going to be cranky about it. She's going to be pissed about it. It's not going to be something that she's going to entertain. She hates everyone. She hates you, right. Jim. She, yeah, hates, she me. hates me. <laughs> she's not going to entertain this. She's 100% at this moment in time, throughout her career, she does everything by the book. There's always a logical reason. You just have to ask the well, right let's, questions. Let's veer, let's veer a little bit because you brought it up into Wheeler. So Wheeler, okay. he's a piece of shit. He, you know, got a lot of raps in and out of jail. He starts dating an 18-year-old, beating the shit out of her. And then finally they come. And as they say, this was very much True Detective Season 1 reminded me of when they come across Reggie Ledoux's compound but they walk into what she tells pete is a murder suicide which we know as the viewer it was a murder and insinuating that they kill wheeler who do you think killed wheeler okay we have we have scenarios where it could be navarro or danvers or both who do you think they want you to think as the I think viewer they want us to right think now. Navarro. I think they want us to think Navarro because of the background information we've gotten from her through the, the couple episodes. We get some background information about her mother and her, uh, I guess, technically, is it her dad or is her stepdad? When, when they moved to Boston, I guess it's her dad, right? She no, says she it's her dad. It. She says it's yeah, her okay. dad. And then also how she reacts in one of the first ever scenes that we meet her. So, yes, we're supposed to think it's her. And then maybe Danvers helps her cover it up because they're they're partners. My and, okay, money is on gonna... Danvers. I yeah, think that happens. I think it's a red herring. Yeah, I think that I think that's on Danvers. I think that maybe there's some connection. Now let me maybe pause, T Money. Let me pause. Oh. And this is Tyler, T Money. I don't think I've called you T Money on the pod yet. <laughs> but for anybody who needs to know, it's very hard for me not to call you T Money. I've been calling you that for 25 years, but. The guy is whistling, Tyler. Do you know what song he's whistling? I know you're going to tell me. What is it? Twist and Shout. Oh, man. And Danvers freaks out. So Twist and Shout, they got that weird shit going on here. It's playing in Salal Station. Maybe that sets her off, and and that's the reason she kills him. But, I mean, look, that drives the connection of them together, 
we don't know, to your point, the time frame of the Wheeler case, the Annie Kotak case, the mm-hmm. move to the trooper, her son dying in some type of car wreck where Twist and Shout is playing. That's a good catch by you. So yeah. that ties into things. Um, I think what that serves to do for us now is give us the classic, which season one and season three have. You need that the two detectives driving in a car talking about life. If you see Danvers coming up on your Tinder account, Jim, <laughs> which what, what are you doing? You're asking you me what I'm doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little really young right. for Danvers, but apparently she's Mrs. Robinson if you want to talk to <laughs> Hank, who's a freaking ass. I love that conversation because it, it guides us into that thought of, A, Navarro and Danvers, they played the question game one too many times, right? Navarro mm-hmm. is essentially like, stop with the fucking game. Like, what do you think this is? Has to do with the mind. Covered it up. So Danvers is almost like the viewer's subconscious in the sense of being like fuck this it's very clear what happened and then danvers because she is the more experienced detective you know is kind of the one on the back end going well how the fuck does that tie into salal station right how does that make any sense so again using you know pete and they use our boy Kavik to to talk through the backdrop of the mother or the Wheeler case. But now they've got themselves to play off of. And it's going right at, you know, listening to God, which is what uh, Navarro claims to be doing. So mm-hmm. God has so far in this episode told her, don't play catch with the darkness. <laughs> Turn around. Right, it's told right. her to tell... Danvers something from her dead son. And finally, it's told her that her mother, who we learn this episode, was murdered. Zombie corpse sickle Anders Lund, in the end of the episode, tells Navarro, your mother says hello and that she's waiting for you. Are you going to do it in Aside the voice from- or what, bro? Yeah, I- <laughs> I can't. I, I can't. I butcher an accent, let alone a zombie accent. Yeah. I can't do it. But what I would say is, aside from how fucking creepy it is to see that guy as a zombie at the end, did you take that as her getting like some type of message from the afterlife and that's what it is? Or did you take it as, as the viewer, we should start maybe connecting the suspicious death of her mother to Salal Station as well? It's so <laughs> it's so maddening right now just because the unreliable narrator is killing me and that's the point of it obviously. I mean, we have Navarro and Danvers and the conversations that they're having Danvers is kind of like being me, right? You know, she's trying <laughs> yeah. to figure out. I've been saying this for 3 episodes now, you know, mad at her syndrome and all this stuff. I'll make fun of myself. <laughs> but like Danvers yeah, what an idiot. Needs a reason for all of this, right? She needs a reason. And I'm watching, and while I'm watching, I need a reason. I'm trying to think of reasons, right? So we have Navarro in this scene, and yes, it could be a vision, it could be, you know, hallucination, whatever it needs to be. The guy could just be laying there the entire time, no big deal, and then he dies, right? She could just she was the only one in the room and she sees what she needs to see. Just like when she sees the sun and everything like that. And then you're just trying to go, oh, but like, what about Annie Kay's phone? And there's there's just too many things, things that you're trying to say, okay, this is definitely real. There's more than one person seeing it. 
And then it's just, here's Navarro seeing it, or just here's Danvers seeing it. And look, I'm not saying that I think this is going full supernatural where that guy actually sat up and talked to her. And when I say actually, I mean real. Like, God, man, this is killing me because he definitely didn't sit up and talk to her, in my opinion. No, he didn't. So, but if you're saying the afterlife is talking to her, then that means you are going more, you're going supernatural. Well, I think it's I think it's beyond a doubt at this point. Like we know that whether it's right or wrong, this is what Navarro is seeing. Now, it could just be, you know, to your point, she's got mad hatters and she's batshit mm-hmm. crazy. But I think a bigger part of this, like in True Detective Seasons Past, is that in dealing with you know these terrible, awful cases. In order to solve them, some of the best detectives, too, are also using like an, an intuition that comes not from logic, right? Yeah, like, right, right, right. And mm-hmm. this was laying down breadcrumbs of just multiple things that she's seeing. Because if you're, if you're Navarro's character, why would you have ever tied your mother's death, you know, 15 years ago back to Salal Station? You never would have. But I right. think she's going to now. She's going to see that link. And that's also going to be something for Danvers to go like, why are you seeing that? You know, and it also kind of underscores some of the, the fun tension between Pete and Navarro, where mm-hmm. Pete is looking in the databases, online searching, right. figuring out everything. And Navarro is back channeling, using word of mouth, using, you know, signs and things of that nature to kind of find information that he can't. Um I think that same thing is kind of playing out with to solve this case, you've got to be a great detective, which Danvers is, but you've also got to have a little bit of something else to solve this one, which Navarro has. Um, and you're that's going what I'm to have from it at yeah. least. Perfectly said, man. I really don't need to add too much because I love everything you just said. You have to have the trust. You know that Navarro and Danvers, whether they broke up or not, they trust each other. They respect each other. They trust each other enough to know that they're covered something big up, like the Wheeler case, and they trust that it's not going to blow up in their faces, right? They broke each other mm-hmm. up because they figure it's probably going to be better to split so that there's no issues going forward. But these two might be grumpy towards each other, but they trust each other. Danvers is going to push back like crazy on Navarro when she gives her hunches and her intuition and whether she admits or not that it's visions and it's things like that. But Danvers eventually is going to say, okay, let's look into this, right? And that's going to be, like you said, the perfect combination of here's the logical detective and here's someone that has the intuition and is also a very good detective as well, you know? But they trust each other where, you know, Navarro is working with Hank and she tries to say that to Hank or even Pete and they go, dude, what what the heck are you talking about? No freaking way you're off the case or something like that, you know? Danvers is going to be there to eventually, after they have their argument about it, trust her and move forward so that this case can be figured out. Well, Jim, that's a good segue from the spiritual or Navarro side of this episode into the Danvers side. So let's get into a little bit more of some cold evidence that we figured out this episode. That's All the right, kind Jim? of stuff that, uh, that I'm okay with. Is that going to make you feel a little bit more comfortable? Yeah, you're yeah, time I mean, me. I don't know what to think, man. And that's what they're <laughs> trying to do. I, of course, it's Navarro that we're getting these 
visions and these hallucinations, quote unquote, all this kind of crazy stuff. Of course, it's her because they want to lean into the fact that they want to show us the sister and the mother and their possible mental illness issues. And, you know, they're trying to be like, okay, guys, is it a Navarro being like the mom and the sister? Is it Navarro having visions because she's spiritual? They're messing with you, Jim. They're messing with you. Guess what? We're not finding some of the stuff that we've found in these episodes without Navarro's intuition. So it goes back to my point before. But let's, so let's look at your friendly neighborhood vet uh, who is now turning into a forensic technician (laughs) for, for the town. So he says what we all knew, but just makes the point, you know, from the animals that he's helped look at, this is not how you die. These corpse signals are not how you die in the cold. But the thing that he, that he said, which I think is the interesting piece for us to go together with is if he had to guess, he would say that these died by cardiac arrest, meaning Mm -hmm. they were frightened to death. Yeah. Okay. Right. Literally had a heart attack, heart stops because they're so goddamn scared, which is also fucking terrifying. Right. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, these guys might've actually been scared to death. Um, but what ties back with that, when we see Anders Lund, his disgusting body that yeah. luckily is dead and we never have to see him again, um, <laughs> he says to Danvers, when she's going back and forth, you know, what happened before? How'd you get back on the ice? And he says something along the lines of, we woke her, right? We woke her, and now she's out in, in the ice. In the night. And she came there for us in the dark, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's got to be pissing you off because what is that? Pissing me off. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the vet, the people on the ice, Lund in general, and then we'll move right into they're scared. What he said. They're scared to death. They're, se- they're scared to death. The vet says he, he's seen animals like caribou be scared to death before, okay? That's how he Which knows. Which we kind now- of saw in the opening scene of the show. Right. Something scared them and they ran off the freaking cliff, you know? Yep. So yeah. We talked about this. We said it was weird how they were found because it seemed like they were frozen in time, and that's not how you would die if you're frozen to death. And then we saw it in the trailer. We talked about it again last episode. And then he himself, the vet, says, if you died from the cold, it would be like actually kind of peaceful falling asleep, and you would look like you kind of fell asleep, right? Question number one, and this was brought up a lot since episode one. And the problem with this and the problem with every question that I'm going to ask you, Tyler, maybe they're not the right questions because in this type of show, you can answer it by just saying supernatural, spiritual, hallucination, mental illness, whatever it is, unreliable narrator. But Lund, when you're frozen in time, frozen to death like that, how can you move your mouth to scream? Everyone is frozen with their eyes open in a certain spot, but randomly he can move his face out of nowhere all of a sudden to scream. And I don't know. I just think it's unbelievable that he's alive. And I think that's what a lot of people are saying, right? And he's yeah, not Yeah, I mean, really look, maybe, dead, maybe, maybe there was, again, some reason tied to Clark that they went out on the ice and then something that they all collectively thought they saw on the ice, which maybe they saw it, maybe they didn't. People get crazy in darkness and isolation, literally scare them to death. And then... You know, their bodies just froze as as they sat there, you know, after a heart Screaming. attack. So, yeah, so scre- here's my... And then Lund, when he didn't 
fully die, you know, woke up and was still screaming and hysterical. Right, and they had freaking chopped off or ripped off his arm or something accidentally. So, right, that was yeah. him, right? Yeah. That's why he screamed. So, yeah, that's yeah, um, that's him. Also, my other question, and you kind of just answered it, so maybe I don't know how cold everything is, and if you're butt ass naked, how fast your body is going to freeze in time. But when you tell me that they died from cardiac arrest, most likely because they were scared to death. How is Lund alive and in that position? So he didn't die from the cardiac arrest. He didn't get scared to death. He just got scared and was screaming well, while he, he could, was being frozen. I mean, hypothetically, he could have passed out from whatever yeah, but happened to him. Like, rah, like you know, like I mean, yeah. If, you you, if you're scared to, if you're scared to that point, you're gonna pass out in that weird disfigured face. I would think. I mean, if I'm passing out, I, mean, I don't I, think I'm gonna. I don't think we're the, equipped to really have this conversation either, right? I have no yeah, fucking clue. Yeah. Right, this is, right. But what I will say, and this is where um, we got more information on Annie, because where I want to take this, obviously we've got a segment to, to wrap up the pod with, but I do mm-hmm. want to say that I'm getting close to just having, it's it's as much of a guess as I can make with the information that we've been given, but the same way that in this show our detectives are two sides of the coin between you know more of the logical death and the spiritual side of uncovering things i think that the crimes we're looking at here might be one of logic and one of a spiritual situation and what i mean mm-hmm. by that is a lot of information that we got gathered in this episode is bringing me closer to feeling a logical conclusion to the death of Annie Kotak in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. A logical understanding of what happened to her. And then that crime in itself leading to the psychosis that ultimately killed all of these men in Salal Station. Let me show you my work real quick. Okay, Jim? Let me say it. So what's the big piece that we got on Annie in this episode? Well. We obviously, we talked about it in episode one. Midwife was not just a, that was not just a piece of the puzzle. Midwife was something that she was very passionate about. You can see her care, her passion in that opening sequence uh, in the flashback for Navarro seven years ago, right? Where she aids a successful water birth for this town. And we're also reminded of stillbirths that are happening in the town that are plaguing it to this day, all right? Mm -hmm. So Annie Kay was just the activist. She was the protester. She was all these things. But her true passion appears to be her work as a midwife, okay? So why Mm -hmm. why does that matter? Well, we now find through some handy detective work that, there were some people that knew about her fucking Clark as much mm-hmm. as no one says they did right. were taken to a hairdresser's home who was her hairdresser. And what we learn is the person that brought her to Salah station in the first place, which helped her meet Clark. Mm-hmm. Why would she be with Clark? What's the question that they don't want you to know? Why would she keep their relationship secret? Why do you think she might have kept their relationship secret? Tyler. So that's, that, should be, <laughs> that should be for the segment, dude. So, uh, Well, I think that they told us the answer to that. 
That's okay. going to lead okay. to my. That's going to lead to my next fucking question. So you got to get on the same wavelength with me, Jim. All right, dude, you're just you're blowing my mind, bro. <laughs> Am I? All right, I'm blowing your mind. So she doesn't want anybody to know that she's in a relationship with Clark, which is the yes. question. Why would that be? When the hairdresser talks about Salal Station and Annie Kotak going, she says that she practically begged to take her to Salal Station. Yes. Why the hell would... Now we got another question. Why would she beg her? And we know Annie is a you know smart, beautiful woman, so she has no uh, Lack struggles. Lack of suitors. Yeah, she has no struggles in finding a suitor. Well... If she's passionate about her her work as a protester, mm-hmm. and she's passionate about the work she does as a midwife, then if you're a midwife, literally a stillborn is like the worst possible result you can have in that work. It's devastating for everyone involved for a number of reasons that we don't need to get into on this podcast. But a lot of the reason that she was protesting the mine was due to thought that people in the mine were polluting the town, right. which pollution in the water and supply all these things help lead to these stillborns well what if she was on the trail of salal station being the cause of a lot of this pollution and stillborns well if that was her thought then she was going to have to get into salal station how is she going to do that investigate yes how's she going to do that she's going to need to find a man in there and attach Mm. herself to him but if she was doing that she wouldn't want anyone to know that she was involved with a man from Salal Station because then they would start to question why she's going there so often. What are any ulterior motives that she might have? Where right. it could be that she latched on to Clark, Clark being a, you know, a guy who has no family. He's living in isolation. He's a fucking weird dude, they say already, infatuated mm-hmm. with her tattoo, which Getting the tattoo makes her stop having dreams. I don't even know where to go with that. I'm just putting it yeah. out there. We can come back to it later if, yeah. in, in a future pod. But where it's bringing me, all that it's leading me to is that I believe that Annie Kotak was of the opinion that Salal Station was the reason for the pollution in the town, for the stillbirths and all the negative things that are happening from said pollution in the town. And she was almost undercover trying to investigate this. And we keep talking about the canisters that they have in Salal Station. Where are they getting that ice from? Where are they getting that from? Well, all we know now is that probably where she was murdered was an ice cave. Enter our new suspect, Oliver Tagak. Okay? Yes, yes. I mean... Tyler, did you find any murder weapons when we met Oliver? Did you think of anything? Did you see any star-shaped things when in the room? Because I saw something. I wanted to see something, but I don't... I mean, I started thinking about ice picks and screwdrivers and things of that nature, which have a star-shaped pattern. Did you see something? Because I might have missed that. So, I don't know if this is going to be a thing or not, but when they open the door, before we see Oliver... And for everyone listening, we obviously skipped ahead, but this is when they go to find Oliver. Who was the Salal Station technician, equipment technician, who was dating the hairdresser and went essentially off the grid right before Annie's death. (laughs) Yes. So. Okay, sorry. So when you open the door, there's a moment where the camera pauses on items hanging from the door, right? 
and mm-hmm. some of the items hanging are forgive me because I don't know what they're called, but they're like the ice shoes that have the spikes at the end of them, like multiple spikes oh that keep you. Oh my god, Jim. And if you push them, it's multiple. It would be a lot of Holy crap. I didn't even see that. You Let's go. That would make so much sense too, right? 32. I mean, right. 32 is a lot of times to stab somebody, but if you're stepping on them, right. then it's, you know, a couple steps. Whoa. You're blowing my mind while I'm talking about our suspect here. But, <laughs> I mean, look, Oliver Tagak, he's going to be public enemy number one, right, mm-hmm. now moving forward. Why is he so uh, guarded against them? But also, why is he pissed? He said Lund is dead when they say yeah. that he's... So, it almost would sound like he reports into Lund in some way, right? Like... And if he's a nomad out there, he's doing something that's keeping him alive to make money. It almost feels like he was hired to do some type of work by Salal Station. And that work may have led to the death of Annie Kotak. I mean, it's, it's almost too easy. But when I talk about the meeting of a crime that is logical and a crime that's illogical, what I mean by that is we see you know, Annie Kotak 32 stab wounds dumped in front of the mines. Mm-hmm. And we're already on to it as like, you know, from episode one, hey, you know, it's probably got to be more tied to Salah Station. That's just a red herring, the mines. Um, but the thing that's always sticking with us is, you know, Jesus, why the hell was her tongue cut off, right? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Clark has her tongue. That must mean that he's involved in this in some way. But what is the one thing that we know about her tongue? Well, it had marks on her tongue. Right, it was different, right. Which are common with licking, essentially, fibers for fishing, like fishing hooks and things of that nature. I don't think that it's a mistake that when they show us very quickly everything that's happening at this Nomad's Post, they show a woman... Licking a thread. Oh, okay. Because, okay, so, so Danvers hasn't gotten been, into that yet, right? She has, She still she thinks it's from the uh, from the frozen... Exactly. Okay, right? okay. But we right. could, but I mean, she could have been undercover in Oliver Tagak's operation, whatever that is. Maybe he is pr- doing something to provide ice to Lund and the scientists that is in turn hurting their water supply and all those things. And she figures it out, is killed by him, and he cuts her tongue off because her tongue would give away the thread she's marks. been, so what le- she's been doing. Lead, him, right. lead them to the nomads and people on the outer rim of the city <sighs> that have those tongue marks. You're right? doing it for me. This is the logical side of, look, you know, we might be onto something where Oliver Tagak is the one who killed her. There's a reason that he killed her. But her death, if that what is true, her death is also, her blood is on the hands of these scientists that are mm-hmm, mm-hmm, doing mm-hmm. something that maybe is significant to the world, right? And it's that classic, you know, hypothetical, would you, you would negatively impact the thousands to save the millions, right? They're, they're right. researching cancer does they're right. researching the greater good yeah yeah it's the it's the classic greater good right you're gonna take the town of ennis and sell them up the river and poison them for a chance of curing cancer which a lot of cold calculated people would take as 
yeah, that's what they're going to do. That's acceptable, right. But when you weave in the fact that Clark, who is part of them, is not letting any of this go, he could be a conduit that leads to some type of supernatural event. Again, it could just be that these guys in isolation that are guilty about a murder that they were partially responsible for, something triggers them to all at the same time see a manifestation of all of their guilt and kills them all on the ice in an unexplainable fashion. And that would be, again, that's to me just tying in the logic of what True Detective is and them solving, you know, a cold case with it's not logical that these guys died the way they did. But guess what? They did die that way. So there has to be something that is happening behind the scenes. Um, And I know I was just cooking for a little bit, so I'm just going to take a step back. I'm taking a step back. I just made, you know, a full meal for you. Let that digest. Give Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I need to chow down, man. That's amazing, dude. I really like what you were saying because it it helps somebody like me try to figure out what's going on. There's things that I still want to talk to you about, about like what's this and what's that, but I can see that. Like I can see what you're trying to say when it comes to this guilt. How crazy is it that the one person, if it's Lund, who is actually behind it, besides Oliver, he's the one that doesn't die from the guilt. He's the one who actually lives... But I think when you were just cooking right there, you're just putting a lot of pieces together for me. Like the whole thing where Oliver is working for Lund or the station, doing something for them. It could be something like finding the cavern, digging the cavern, digging into the cavern, providing them with the ice that they need, whatever it is. Also makes sense that, say, Oliver is the killer. He stomps on her if we're right about the shoes, right? That's how she dies. But he moves her to the mines to make it seem logical to the people because they know she was against it outwardly, right? But also move it against or away from the station when the station is actually what is poisoning and not the mines. Like, how weird would it be for this story if you find out that everybody in, you know in this town believes it's the mines, but it's actually the station? And again placing her in front of the mines, making it seem like the miners or somebody on the miner's side did it, pulls everybody away. Nobody would think twice about the station. You talking about the fact that she's keeping it a secret, that makes perfect sense because if she's against the station and she's suspicious of them and she's an activist, she would not want people to know that she's going to be there being around these people Why that she's she so against. Why would she so much time there? Exactly. And it could have been even her idea to get the trailer. You know, let's get this trailer. Let's get a, a trailer that yeah. we can hang out together. Now, like you said, Clark, he's a weirdo. It's a girl that he was lonely, becomes obsessive. He, you know, crazy revelation, and you, you alluded to it, but she introduces him to the symbol, right? And again, yep. the fact that you know, the dream stop, this and that. I don't know about that. We don't need to get into that at this moment. But she introduces it to him. He becomes infatuated with her and the symbol. And then things like the trailer happen. The things that I want to talk about, too, though, are she's awake. Who's awake? Is she awake? Is it... Does, now, who does that mean? Does that mean Annie? Does that mean... What does that mean? So let me ask this question. I saw this online, and you remember our boy, Pete's son... 
right before his parents had started to bang, he bang, he bang in front of him. He drew a scary picture. And it was like, however you want to say it, it was like a story or a fairy tale that is told. But two people that live there, that's their culture. That is something from their culture that is, whether it's a god, a goddess, or a monster, whatever it is, that is something from their culture. What if these Salal Station people, I'm not saying this, this entity is going to be in the show as a lie, but what if their guilt is manifested through judgment you know they believe they met judgment and the thing that is drawn is a female you know we woke up this entity she is coming for us because we killed somebody yeah i don't know how that turns into like they actually see something or they feel something that scares them to death i don't know how it turns into reliable narrators like pete and danvers seeing on a phone Clark shaking, seizing, and saying she's awake. I don't know how we can connect them yet, but there's something, you know. I, I yeah. there's I saw online there's things like was he so obsessed with her that he's doing this microbiology stuff and trying to reanimate her and it's a freaking zombie, like you were saying, and I don't believe that kind of stuff. But yeah, you know yeah. I, I think that's the the convenience and good writing of his work and where he is, is that it does lead you to be like, man, was he like trying to bring her body back to life? We know he doesn't have her body that was found by, by yeah, the police. Right. Uh, he just had her tongue. Right. Right. But the other piece is like, I know I'm bringing up Oliver to and you're seeing the boots, but if the boots were the, were the murder weapon, for example, then anybody walking in those ice caverns would have a pair of those types of boots, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, it doesn't so have to be Oliver. 100%. You also can't, we also can't exclude Clark, who right. now you give him a motive if he figures out that the woman that he's in love with is using him to get information against where he works. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But but I just think, I think it's a good time to play Let's Ask the Right Fucking Questions, Jim. All right. So I'm going to lead it off, and from that, I want to go off the thread that we're unraveling with Oliver Tagak. So last episode, the question was, what is the role of Tuttle United? That was kind of the big Mm -hmm. brain question. Where now we're zeroing in, we can go as far as to say, you know, or simply ask the question, where are the ice caverns or what are they getting from the ice caverns, right? The ice caverns, it would make a lot of sense, would be more tied to the water supply than the mines, right? Fucking ice Mm -hmm. caverns. Mm -hmm. Yes, Um, yes. I, I think... What we really need to get into and what it looks like we're going to get into in the next episode is the question of, like, what were they doing with the ice caverns at Solal Station? That's kind of the very basic question I didn't think about at all. But, I mean, hell, you're going to tell me I didn't think when I just cooked and took you on that that journey? Jim, give me— You you cook big time. I want you to help me uncover another question, which is— we talked about how Danvers is the logical one, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What logic does she have for hating the native culture as much as she appears to? Yeah. That's another so question I was, that I really want to know. I was going to bring this up last episode, and I didn't because I just thought it would be me being just throwing stuff out there without real logic and not enough information. But my thoughts still at this moment are just going to be that she knows that these people that are activists against the mines, which might end up being the stations, but the mines are dying. They are in danger, right? She even says it in this episode, you know what happens to these people, right? Now, 
That shouldn't mean she gets mad for her talking to people from her culture and getting more into her culture. That's ridiculous. But the freak out in this episode, I thought, made sense because she's wearing the activist shirt. And this makes sense to me that Danvers says, like, I care about you. I love you. I don't want you to be killed. But I don't understand the freak out from the last episode to the grandmom and to her daughter then or stepdaughter then, which, by yeah. the way, we got the confirmation and stepdaughter. Finally, the words came out of her yeah, mouth. The words came even the though words we knew it. Out. But but why? Why does she yeah. have this hatred towards the native yeah. culture? I don't understand that. I don't either. I don't be. either. There's got to be a reason. So, do you your have questions? another question or did I steal one from no, you? No, no, I have a question. So, my first question was talked about already, and that was why did he ask for Lund specifically? And I think you freaking destroyed that question, right? You nailed that <laughs> question. I'm, I'm glad it was already brought up. So, something we didn't talk about this episode is how deep into the mystery, how deep into the mystery is Hank going to be? Right. Does he know what Salal Station is doing? And they're the ones right. giving the money, like we talked before. We guessed last episode that he is being sketchy, right? We we guessed in episode one that he's being sketchy, right? He's he's the freaking guy from he's bound and down, he's a sketchback. But no, he's he's acting like he's incompetent, but he's also going straight against Danvers. We got confirmation he was the one that took Navarro off the case. There was a lot of breadcrumbs in the first two episodes that we talked about, right? Why does he give a shit that the case file was taken? Why does he hit his son about it? But this episode confirmed something very sketchy. And that very sketchy thing was that Susan did call the police station. She did it anonymously, but she did talk to Hank and told Hank about Clark, right? Yep. The station. The freaking station, yep. okay? Now, we were saying it, and I believe it was me, I was saying it as, like, as general as is Tuttle paying him to cover it up, right? Now, they're going off the scenario where he is actually on the mind side of things. Like, they still think, which is why it would be a good reveal on your end, Tyler, Navarro thinks he's working for the mines, right? Yeah. He's actually going to be working for the station, maybe. That's the question. How deep Total into this cover-up, into this mystery is he? How much are we going to get? It's the same question from last episode. How much is Tuttle United going to be involved in this? Are they just giving us a nice little Easter egg because they were sketchbags in season one and this makes sense for them? Things that they would do, they would cover up evil things. Um, what's going to be this reveal for Hank? I mean, he is getting worse and worse as the season's going on. I mean, at first yeah. we're saying he's a sketchbag, he's incompetent. Now all of a sudden he's hitting his son and he's burying evidence like crazy. I mean, he's getting sketchier and sketchier. Yeah, and I think that's a good note to end on to kind of call him out again because we've got our antenna up focusing on Hank because we both agreed that we think he's more capable than he lets on. And it's funny because while he is, yes, an incompetent man that is painting a room blue for a Russian mail order bride or whatever, right? Like, yeah. He didn't seem too incompetent when he got up and he talked to the search parties, right? I mean, he surprises you. And I think that's the part that we, we do need to lean in on, right? Like, is he the one leading the search party? Because he wants to kill Clark he wants to shut Clark him up, dead. right? Yeah. He wants Clark dead. And did he know that Salal Station was behind all this and the Annie K was just a cover up and he took Navarro off because he knew that she had, you know, the, the rigor the to figure this right. out. Right, um, right, right. I think that's a great question to, to end on, Jim. And look, you know, this, for those of you, this, that's your first time listening to us, 
um, with True Detective. When it came back to Silo, I was throwing out theories that sounded good as well, but were clearly wrong. So obviously, I'm just putting together ideas with what we've seen thus far. But to me, it also goes in line with just what would be a, you know, you think to yourself, hey, I'm really enjoying this. We're halfway through. What would be kind of a satisfying conclusion to me? And just the same way that we're walking the the thin line of the logical and the supernatural or the spiritual, it would be pretty cool if they could if they could tie these murders both to logic and to to spirit, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would be very cool. And when it comes to the final scene, and we see her in one of the caves, caverns, and she... Yeah, she says she found it. It's here. So that could be a drill. That could be... There's so many things that that could be that we can't possibly know, right? But she's worried about what she found. Right. And is it as simple as, in our heads right now, that she says, hello, my name is Annie Kay. She obviously doesn't say it that way, but she says, hello, my name is Annie Kay, and if blah, 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 basically saying, there's a chance I could die right here. At this moment, I could die, right? Two seconds later, she's screaming, the phone drops, we don't see who kills her. Is it as simple as Clark or Oliver could have just found her there, tailed her there, and that's just what it is? Or, again, are we talking something supernatural? Going off what we're cooking about today, Tyler, like what you're saying... I do think it could just be... I don't know why she would scream that much unless it's like she's being attacked at that moment. Well, I mean, you would scream what, if you're getting stabbed or that's stomped what I, on. And that's it, what I would yeah. think, too. And that's why you calling out the shoe, which I missed, is almost the perfect murder weapon for this type of thing because, A, it matches the brutality of the number, but also, like, if she was getting stomped on, you're going to scream yeah. in agony yeah. while that's happening to you. So it kind of and it, also fits that ending, as terrible as it is to think about you know, the mechanics of someone getting stomped on. and But that would explain, if we were going that logical route, and they, mm-hmm. then it would explain that. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And I mean, again, you push her to the ground and start stomping on her. Her phone's going to fall out of her hand. I mean, it fits. Did Clark so. do it, and he took the phone and put it in her shrine? Or did it happen and... On the cleanup, Clark finds the phone and takes it and hides it. Questions that we can't answer, but Jim, I feel very confident that this duo of detectives, <laughs> you're the Danvers, I'm the Navarro, I guess, maybe at yeah, this point. We kind of we kind of yeah. oscillate back and forth, but I think we're I think we're on the right path here. And I I'm might feeling... be Pete, bro. <laughs> 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 you're... <laughs> well, I might be Hank then. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> you mess with me, bro? Is there? Are you just like cooking at me with all this good shit? And I'm thinking it's one thing and it's totally another thing. You're just trying to yeah. get me off the case. Yeah. Who knows, man? But I'm excited to see. Uh, we're one half of the way down. I'm excited to see where this goes. The Night Boys are going to figure this out if it's the last thing we do, Tyler. Right? We, we didn't will. call ourselves the Night Boys this episode. I had to make sure we say it once before the end of the we episode. We are the Night Boys. And give me the theme song, dude. There it is. Night Boys. Yeah, Yeah, the Night Boys. All right, guys. If you like what you heard, check us out at BingetownTV.com. Like Tyler said, we're only halfway there. Three episodes left. We have so much more to go. We're excited to talk to you guys week by week. Our big thing that we want you guys to do, if you want to talk some True Detective, check out our Discord. Hit us up. It'll be in the description in the show notes. Click it. It's free. We talk about every show we've covered and 
any other TV show that's out there. If you want to recommend TV shows, there's a million things you can do in this Discord. We want to create a community. We want some people to have some fun with us. We have so much to talk about. We have a lot of people hitting us up on Twitter. So thank you yeah, guys hit for us, hit us, hit us hit up it, on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm putting myself out there. I'm throwing out some theories, some half-cooked theories. So do the same. There's no, there's no shame here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you to everyone hitting us up on Twitter, Instagram. We are having a lot of fun talking to everybody. If you want it to be more centralized, the, the Discord's there. But um, like I said, in the intro, we cover so many different TV shows, so please check us out, BingetownTV.com or Bingetown TV on any of your favorite podcast apps. And that's it, guys. The Night Boys are out. Three more episodes left. We will see you all next week. Once again, we are Bingetown TV. And thank you so much for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.